Welcome to the Conscious Caravan podcast. I'm Jonathan. And my name is Torbjorn. And this is the podcast for all you people out there wanting to live more conscious lives. Conversations from the yurt. Conversations from the yurt. Episode two. What I'm curious about, and every time we, we get together, it makes me even more curious. Right. right. Is this thing of meditation. And it's something that for me, I've experienced a lot, of, yeah, a lot of lot of joy in my life when I when I have been meditating that. And for different people, meditation means different things. Right. And there's different. There's all these different ways of meditating, or forms of meditating, or teachers, or things like that. But when we're together, you often express to me that. Uh, there's no distinguish between when you're meditating formally practicing or practicing whatever you want to call it right sitting there in the position of meditation or whatever and then when you're outside of that and you're just having we're having a conversation you you express to me that you're also meditating in that point or like right. you're, you're you meditate all the not all the time but as much as you can right uh So I, I don't really know where I'm going with this besides the point of like, can you, can you explain that a little bit more? <clears throat> well, I think that I realized when I first started meditating, I realized that, you know, it, it, I came into this state of calmness and I felt quite good and and that was something that I was looking for at that point in my life because I <clears throat> I was very much not feeling good and I was very much not feeling calm so meditation gave me that but I would soon realize that whenever I stopped the moment I stopped meditating the meditation stopped doing anything and also when I was out and about in my life I couldn't meditate because meditation required me to focus and you can't really focus while you're doing other things because they require your focus. So doing your work, having a conversation, or even doing something while talking to someone, all these things require you to focus your attention on different places. For example, us sitting here. Us sitting here. Talking or, about what we're talking about exactly. in this podcast. Exactly. If I was to focus on my breath or something, then my attention would be fighting between focusing on breath and on what you were saying and so on. So, I came to realize that what I thought was meditation was actually concentration. And I came to realize that concentration was not what I was looking for in my life. Because learning to concentrate on the breath, on a candle of a flame, or on a visualization, or whatever it was, that just made me better at concentrating. And while concentrating can certainly be a good skill for many things, concentration doesn't really have anything to do with meditation. And one of the things we talked about once is that, I think I said to you, or maybe it was when we were meeting with the group, is that when you hear about meditation, people are always talking about, they're, they're talking about opening their mind, they're talking about expanding their consciousness. We talk about consciousness expanding drugs and all these things. No one is talking about narrowing their consciousness. Isn't that funny? And concentration is always narrowing your consciousness. If you're only focusing on the breath, that's a very narrow way of having your consciousness. So I came to realize that meditation was not concentration. Meditation is an opening. And it took me many years to understand exactly what that was. But when I understood it, I understood that not only could I meditate at all times, you know, as long as I remembered, but when I was meditating, it actually made everything I did much more effective, harmonious, and skillful. So that's sort of the, the lead-in <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, because try and go through your day and focus on your breath. You have to do all kinds of other things. You have to go out of the breath. You have to talk to people. You have to not walk into things. You have to do all kinds of things. And so I found what I really wanted, of course, I wanted peace and calm, but I also wanted 
the ability to master, to live skillfully. And concentration meditation did not make me live skillfully. Actually, I became less skillful because now there was a tug of war between my meditation object and life which demanded my attention in, in different sort of ways. And that became a conflict. Um, so and I was never, and I was never able to, to resolve that conflict. So it became uh, quite difficult, right, to to meditate, concentrating on something outside of the meditation practice exactly. in your day to day life, because you would. Uh, but for example, at work or having a conversation with somebody or these kind of things required your attention, like you said. Exactly. So, so what, uh, so I'm just really curious what happened next? Like what was the, what was the, did you find a different way of meditating that didn't require concentration, that required something else that you were able to practice all the time? Well, you are here, you're here now and you're, you're living that, I guess. Right. So what, what is... What does that look like, or what is that? Well, if you look in, into the spiritual traditions of the world, you'll find that this path of concentration is a very ordinary one. You'll find that that's where you, you almost nowhere, everywhere you look, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, even uh, Christianity actually has meditation. There are monks that meditated. No matter where you look, you'll find this concentration and cultivation idea. But then you'll also find that there were these crazy old uncles who went around and messed with these people who talked about concentration. There were these people who would say things that didn't make sense and make fun of these people who were sitting and concentrating. And they would say upsetting things to them that would make you believe that there might be another different and easier way. Because they would sort of the old Sun masters, the old Taoists, and people like them, they would sort of um, tease the people sitting there concentrating, straining hard. Um, there's a famous quote put to a, a yoga master where someone asks him, you know, what, what exactly does bending your body into the shape of a pretzel have to do with spiritual enlightenment? And these sort of things. So. I came to see in these spiritual religions that there were these old jokers who would mess with these people who were very diligently practicing their meditation. And they'd say things such as like, you know, you're already it, what are you looking for? Um, they'd say things such as, if you're gonna be sitting there and concentrating on this stuff, like what, what good are you? What, can, what use can you be to the world sitting there like that, tensing yourself? And so I started to look into the, the words of these strange masters who were saying things that didn't make much sense. Essentially, they were saying, you are already it. And they would have, one of the arguments they would have that struck me really hard, and these kind of arguments, when you are a seeker on the path and you train diligently, these kind of arguments hit you hard because they, they irrefutably create a problem with the idea of practice. And one of those things that they would say was that if what you're looking for is your original nature, how are you going to find it by trying to practice some technique you learned from outside of yourself? If, it's, if you're looking for your original nature, how are you going to find it outside of yourself? And if finding your original nature is something you have to achieve, then what if you lose it again? Because obviously, if you have to find it, then you can just as well lose it again. Because right now you have lost it. So clearly you can lose it again. So if you're not finding it. Right. And you're not, and you, and you're, and then if you do find it, then you can lose it. Right. And if you, then what do you, then what if do you, you practice it and you're a Buddha while you're practicing and then you stop practicing and you're no longer a Buddha, then you're not really, a, you're just a practice Buddha. So then, what would you suggest? Well, what are you suggesting? What do you? What are the? Uh, what are these uncle masters? <laughs> <laughs> these jokesters. What these, they? These jokesters. What are they? Uh, 
Well, they were suggesting that you were already it. That right now as you are, was the whole thing. And they would say that obviously it would have to be that way because unless it was something that was already here in your experience, then it would just be another thing that you could gain and lose. And the whole point of spiritual enlightenment was to get something that you can't lose. You know, everyone who walks this path is looking for something they can hold on to forever, even past death for some people, right? They're looking for something secure which you cannot lose. But even if you achieve enlightenment, who's to say you won't lose it again? Because right now you don't have it. So what these masters said was that what you're looking for is already there, you just need to change the focus. Change the focus? Change the focus. It must be present in your experience at all times. If it isn't, then how could it be your original nature? How could it be your original mind? How could it be your true self or higher self? There was a monk who asked the Zen master, he said, how do I accord myself with the great way? And the Zen master said, what do you think the great way is that you could be out of accord with it? In other words, he said, you can't accord yourself with the great way because you can't in the first place be away from it. So if you can't be away with it, and you're already it, right? how does one experience that? Or come into that? Do you hear the wind above? Yeah, I notice the wind above. Well, then that's it. So I must, I must ask the question, right? <laughs> because if you're somebody listening, I imagine you're also wondering this, like if, you're, if, you're, if your mind's kind of saying, okay, well, well that seems like way too simple. <laughs> right. You're already it, and then you notice the wind, and then that's it. It's like, it just seems super, it seems like, at least my mind is saying like that's 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 too uh, too simple or something. Right, but here's but an maybe, interesting thing. Yeah. Is there anything more simple than what you already are? I guess not. And so you're suggesting that this meditation that you do formally or unformally or is in everyday life is what you focus on in each moment to bring you into this already knowing or this already, not already knowing, but you being already it kind of thing. Right. It's difficult to put into words because it's just who you are. It's not something you can really explain. And that's why it's difficult for the mind because the mind is an explainer. But the way it's usually explained is like this. People talk about awareness, they talk about how to become more aware and all these things. But when we sit here, I sit here with you, I hear the wind in my ears without trying to. In fact, I can't stop it. I'm effortlessly hearing the wind. 
I hear the fireplace. My eyes see the light of the flames. I'm not trying to be aware of it. It happens automatically. Everything in all of my five senses, as well as the sixth sense, which I will call the thinking sense, where thoughts come. From the smell of the fireplace, the taste of whatever it is we're tasting, the feeling of the warmth on my skin, the winds in my ear and the light in my eyes, everything is reporting to the same awareness without any effort. I don't have to try to be aware. And if right now you were to call my name, even though I was totally immersed in this experience, I would instantly hear what you said and I would know you were talking to me. So what's this idea about concentrating or being aware? Clearly I am always aware all the time. Everything reporting to my awareness. And when you talk to me, I hear you, but I don't need to try to hear. And this hearing without trying, this is the meditation I'm talking about. This seeing without trying to see, hearing without trying to hear, feeling without trying to feel. Everything is already perfectly managed. Just abide in this awareness that is already functioning. It doesn't even matter where you put your attention because if you put your attention in front of you and something happens behind you, you still hear it. So every moment, every day, all I do is just let life report to me in all my senses at all times. And where this gets difficult, I'm sure even the listeners right now, they don't find it much difficult, but where this gets difficult is the sixth sense. Hmm. Now I don't mean the sense of of a magical danger sense. I talk about the sixth sense as the sense of thinking. And the sixth sense is difficult because when a thought comes, if a bird, if a bird sings outside, then that sound just enters my ears and it exits again and I don't think about it. But if a thought arises in my head, then for some reason, all the five senses come and go without any problems. But if a thought comes, then I feel I have to do something about it. So if I sit here and a thought comes up and the thought says, I wonder what I'm going to do. I wonder what I'm going to eat for lunch tomorrow. Then for some reason, instead of realizing that this thought is exactly the same as the wind or the fire or the heat, I either start thinking about that thought, or I may, if I'm a spiritual person, think that that thought should go away because I don't want any thoughts. And when I do that, I leave this place of effortless awareness and I go into thinking. And it's interesting because both in Danish and English we have the same expression, is that we say that a person was not in their senses and in Danish we say something similar. Hmm. So, or we say he's out of his mind. But when you go into thinking, you go, you go out of your mind, you go out of your senses. And you don't, you don't see the fire, you don't hear the wind, you don't feel the heat, you don't smell the smoke. Suddenly for a estimated time, you are completely gone from your senses. And then at some point you come back. And so meditation, the only thing you have to do to meditate is when a thought arises, you don't need to think about it. You don't need to get rid of it. Just consider a thought to be just like a sound of the birds or the wind, to be a momentary phenomenon that comes by itself and goes by itself from nothing into nothing. And you just remain exactly as you are in that place where everything arises and is heard, seen, smelled, felt, thought. So the only meditation I do is 
all day I just try to remain the way I am and not get involved with thoughts. And that requires no concentration. And it's not a technique or an effort because I'm actually doing less than people normally do. Normally people would think or they would try to fight with thoughts. I don't even do that. So all I really do is I just stay as I am as much as I can remember. And a really practical way of that is, for example, when you're talking, right, every time you talk, then a thought may come up in my mind that says something that I want to say or some kind of concern or some kind of fear or where are we going or do I know what I should say or whatever. And then this is a, this is a very practical way of practicing it, is I just let that thought go and I let myself naturally be where I'm listening to you speaking. And that may sound like a kind of concentration, but I'm not specifically concentrating on what you're saying. I'm just staying in myself where all my senses arise. And so without trying, I hear everything you say and I understand everything you say without trying to understand. Because that's already happening in me at all times because The human mind is kind of like a mirror in that it reflects everything that comes before it without any intention. So, like I said before, if, if while you and me are talking right now, a crow was to call outside, we would both hear it, even though we were talking. Spontaneously we would hear that sound, we would, we would realize it was a bird, we would realize, estimate just about where it was, and we would realize that it was probably a crow, if we know what a crow sounds like. But that didn't happen because we wanted to or because we were concentrating. It happened despite the fact that our attention is right here, right now. So, to sum it up in other words, there's no real need to meditate. Because actually, you are meditation. What you need to stop is, stop practicing non-meditation. Or we could say it another way, your very nature is meditation and awareness. What you need to stop practicing is running after thoughts. Because you, you, have, a, you have a child in there and that child has not yet come to a point where it starts running after thoughts. But at some point, that child will go from the state it is in now. How old was she? Eight months old? Eight months, yeah. That state where she has no thoughts or anything. And at some point when she's three or four, thoughts will, or maybe earlier nowadays because kids are so evolved, thoughts will start coming in her mind and they will come and go. She won't think about them. But at some point through inter interacting with you and the way you talk and the way you think, she's going to start interacting with those thoughts. She's going to say, this is my thoughts, this is my mind. And at that point, she's out of the Buddha mind. <laughs> at that point, she becomes self-conscious. And so what we're doing, learning to meditate, is just we're going back to that natural state of thoughts just rolling without being engaged with. And then we find that we are just the center of the universe where everything is perceived and arises effortlessly. Complete, total awareness at all times. And that's just what I try to do every day. How much of that makes sense to you? Actually, a lot of it does make sense to me in in my own ex like experience, I guess. And what I notice is that from years of of uh, I keep going to say practice, but the years of experiencing what you what you do uh, with meditation, you're able to put so clear. Clarity, like the clarity of words around, around it is uh, is incredible. So, so I, I, I 
yeah. But for for for, for people listening, um, to put it another uh, in another way, or like in a kind of yeah, maybe in a more digestible way, I guess you could say. Right. Which is, I actually think what you said was is quite. Well, now I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, it's quite digestible actually so but it, it sounds like this meditation that you talk of is not so based around sitting there concentrating on the breath or um, concentrating at all actually in, in fact but actually more about being in what is right now right and that is largely around the senses that you mentioned Right. And part of that, what I, what I hear as well and experience also in, in my life when, when, uh, yeah, when I'm aware or meditating or present or whatever you want to call it, is this importance of being with whatever that is in your experience. Right. And, it's, and these senses kind of bring us back into that. Right, and the mind, from what you're saying, was takes you out of that, that place, out of the awareness or the that that um, and I think that natural know, kind of na- natural state of and everything, and I think it's kind of a beautiful thing because everything, everything you see, you experience in your senses, I also experience because we're here together, which means. We're experiencing something that you and I can share. This is, this is real. But everything that comes from thinking is not real. We can't share it. We can't share our thoughts. We can't share our dreams. We can't share our internal sort of experience because it's ultimately not real. But the fire, the wind, the feeling of the heat right here, this is the real world. But the crazy thing is <coughs> how, what the mind, how the mind works with right. our body, right? Right. Because our minds can have such th- such strong thoughts or just just a thought actually right they just call it a thought like a cloud but we often can get attached to that thought right or it can bring up a memory or something in our past that then creates that thought into what seems like a reality or seems like it's very much real even though that it can be very distant from what is actually happening in our experience but it can it can feel so real that in our body we actually react to that emotionally as well. Right. And that takes us completely out of this, this uh, our senses and our kind of our body or our our awareness or that part of us that you're. But this that's <coughs> that's why this <coughs> the reason why this sort of meditation or non-practice we could call it practicing non-practice because you're really practicing not doing something which is called thinking but anyway what makes this so wonderful is that when I'm here when I'm in this state in this body listening to these words and to your words and I'm not thinking then I experience the totality of this moment all my senses I experience this moment completely as it is which means my actions will be in alignment with with what actually is and that means in every situation I am in if I manage to be in this state my actions will be in complete harmony with everything in my environment and every person in my in my environment because I am acting off of the real-time data of what is exactly around me and the human mind is able to see more deeply than we think so I'm not just acting off of what I can see, hear, feel, think, or whatever, but I'm also to some degree, depending on what you believe, acting in accordance with what is going on in the people around me. Mm. Things inside them that are distinguished in my mind. Now, even if you don't believe that, you will agree that if if you're taking your action out of the information of everything that is around you and inside you, the real in the real data then your actions actions will be incredibly skillful but if your if your information is coming from thinking and old pain and past patterns and reactions 
and your actions will be incredibly unskillful because you're not reacting to the moment, you're reacting mm. to yourself. So for example, if I look at you and if I look at you, Jonathan, and I think you're sad, then if I'm reacting to myself, then maybe I'd, you know, go over and give you a hug or whatever, or maybe I'd try to stay away from you or whatever, because my experiences in my past was, oh, you know, my mother wanted to be alone when she was sad, or my father wanted a hug when, when he was sad. So if I come in with the past, then I react to myself and to the past, and then I try to force that, that interpretation into yeah. this moment. Yeah. But if I'm in this moment, what would I do? I will observe myself. What do I feel? Where am I? Well, I'll observe you. Where do you feel? Where are you? And then I will act out of that moment. And then I can actually see, does Jonathan want a hug? Or does he want to be alone? I'll be able to see that. Because I by don't... By sensing it? Well, by looking at your body by language or... Language. You know, we humans are very strong at, at reading body language. So actually, this kind of thing we can sense. Believe it or not, we can sense this kind of thing if you trust yourself. So, if I am not full of myself, but simply if I abide in all the information there is in this moment, then I'll be able to have a very, very educated uh, way of acting. And so I'll be able to see what does Jonathan need, and I'll be able to uh, respond to that. Maybe you don't need anything. Maybe you need a hawk, maybe you need to be alone. And then I can skillfully and in harmony with my surroundings and the people around me and myself because I'm also aware of myself. So for example, I'm not going to start doing things that if I'm totally knackered that day and I don't have the energy to help other people, then that'll also be in my information. What I notice in you, Tobin, is that even if you are very tired and you, <laughs> and you articulate that, you're still extremely sensitive to, at least uh, when we're, uh, even today, for instance, early today. Right. In, in my, um, what is in me, you know. Right. And so much so that you're able to kind of, um, yeah, kind of ask the the question maybe people would avoid asking or <laughs> or that kind of uh, and uh, but I, I just noticed that you're very 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 sensitive right. to to knowing what is there and I'm just curious like whether that comes from this place of meditation or being in that it's in such alignment with your senses that you're able to kind of like experience that the, the the feeling or the energy or in that in the other person for example me today or with you and your clients or kind of in such a in such a way where it's so accurate actually most of the time well for me it's not it, it for me there's no big difference whether i'm looking into myself or into someone else it's not really different for me and the reason is that I am just, you know, I'm just here with what is. That's mm -hmm. the one thing. The one thing is that I'm, I'm just here with what is. But the second thing is, with, which we've talked about, is I also trust my intuitions. Yeah. I trust them absolutely. It doesn't mean I'm never wrong. Yeah. It just means I'm, I'm often, more often right than I'm wrong. And sometimes when I'm wrong, I'm not actually wrong. It's just the other person either doesn't want to admit it or doesn't see it. <laughs> so, so would you say that this path of meditation or the path of, yeah, you said med meditation, right? Actually, Harvard, Harvard just released a study that showed us that the way to get emotional intelligence is to uh, achieve self-awareness. So this is something I've known for many years, but if you want to understand others better, just study yourself. Hmm. Study your own emotions, your own thought process. Look inside yourself and see what is actually going on. Mm. What is this whole sideshow, slideshow inside me on the daily? What is my inner experience? They now confirm with studies that that is what makes you emotionally intelligent. And when you can see how other people feel like I can with you sometimes, that I would say is emotional intelligence. And so what would you, what, what do you, how do you do that? 
like if you're if you're one of the listeners here or me for example and you're like okay i want to i want to you know self-awareness is really important to me or meditation maybe just self-awareness say and emotional intelligence is really important to me and i want to i want to work with that right what is something practical that you can kind of uh give give the to give the listeners or me or someone to kind of from your own what you do currently or your own experience i would say like the things that i did i would say first of all of course a meditation practice is invaluable in this because what do you because in a meditation practice if you have a certain amount of minutes you meditate every day however many or few it is if you sit down you feel your body what is going on in your body feel your emotions what is going on in your emotions you look at your thoughts what is going on in your thoughts that is pure self knowledge that is self observation and the more clear you become about your own inner experience the more you realize that everyone is the same and the interesting thing about people is we always say that people are very different people are not different people may have different thoughts but the way their thoughts function is the same people may have different emotions but their emotions function the same and in that way once you grasp the basic structure of how thoughts emotions and bodily reactions are you get a really deeply penetrating understanding of all people because people have like i don't know five major emotions or something like that that's it and then there are nuances or whatever but basically everyone is afraid of something uh, everyone loves something everyone knows the feeling of shame everyone has these very basic experiences and then the complicated part where people are different is you know some people are afraid of snakes some people get ashamed when they uh, spend money on themselves people have very unique ways of displaying the exact same experiences and traits thing. right yeah. so people do the same things with very different things so if you can understand your basic inner experience you will understand everyone and that's and this is a big thing with leaders these days because we have a lot of leaders we have a lot of a call to have better leaders and we have a lot of leaders that want to be better and there is nothing you can do no course you can take nothing you can learn no intention you can have that will make any difference other than just start studying yourself and sit and meditate and look at your inner experience that's the first thing and the second thing i would recommend is check in regularly during the day what do i mean specifically say check in and say how am i feeling right now hmm. what is going on in my body right now is it tense is it upset is my breath going fast slow whatever what is the status what is the state of my body and what kind of thoughts are going on in my mind and is and especially check in whenever you're in a stressful situation or you're going into a stressful situation this checking in will give you a snapshot of what is happening in your inner experience and a lot of your inner experiences which are which spiral towards a negative they actually will come to a halt when you become aware of them because knowingly or unknowingly you're all, always participating in your inner experience through thinking so if you're going a bad place emotionally on the job because you maybe you have to go and talk with a difficult colleague or bring bad news or maybe you screwed up whatever it was you're always unconsciously engaging with certain thoughts that are creating certain emotions which are creating certain physical sensations in other words if you're fearful you create fearful emotions and then you create uh a tense uh, anxious shallow breathing uh disturbed nervous system but if you then check in if you've taught yourself to check in even though you're on this you're really on this role you're all the way into your anxiety but you have taught yourself to check in a few times an hour the moment you check in the whole process uh is like you pulling the curtain and looking behind and seeing what's actually going on at that moment you become aware that you are in the middle of perpetuating a negative cycle and at that moment that cycle will at the very least stop and at the very least change may not completely um end 
But because you become, became aware of it, something will be different. And so that's, that's how you cultivate emotional intelligence. That's, if you want to understand others, you just have to look to understand yourself. And the more you understand yourself, the more you will stop with the negative cycles in your life, which create negative emotions, negative physical symptoms and which eventually will lead to disease and stress and uh, needing um, a lot of rest to recover. Yeah. So it sounds like taking the time for yourself, like to, to just kind of sit there, you know, and uh, the first thing you said about meditating or just kind of like noticing your how am I feeling how am I what are my thoughts right what is my breath kind of just and then this other part of checking in which you went into into detail then it seems like that that's a huge thing for yeah, getting to know yourself better or your emotional intelligence but also preventing a lot of um, psychological trauma i guess you could say so true so or, or psychological like, stress yeah psychological burnout. stress and a, yeah a lot, a lot of a lot of stress and i mean who wouldn't choose that right Indeed. if you had if you had that choice it's like what is it you said checking in twice a day oh tr twice a twice an hour or something checking in uh, twice an hour for example yeah so, so say tw checking in twice an hour and just asking yourself what am i how am i feeling or right. what am i feeling what are my thoughts doing what is what is going on right now in my body? If I can just interject, yeah, our experience cause can always be divided into three, three aspects. Yeah, there is our thinking, there is our feelings, and then there is whatever's going on in the body, the physical sensations or symptoms. Mm. And so, checking in means to just run through that list and see what's actually what is my inner experience because yeah. that inner experience is going to define how you feel and it's going to define your outer experience because if you if your inner experience is anxious and you're not aware of it then everything you do during that day will be from that anxious energy which will perpetuate the feeling of anxiousness and create negative consequences because if you are in a state of anxiousness you're going to make choices that make you more anxious and make other people anxious um, and generally that are, as we talked earlier, you're reacting to yourself, not the environment. So all your actions are unskillful because you're reacting to the fact that you're afraid. And so you're doing things based on what you're, it's sort of what you talked about earlier. You're doing things based on a reality that you are creating, not the actual reality. Mm. And so all your actions are out of reacting place, out me. of sync, they're reactive. Um, so you're, you're reacting instead of responding. When you respond, mm. you respond out of what is. When you react, you react out of who you are and what you've brought with you. And so... So you're letting like the ego kind of just like react to, to what, what's going out on right. outside of you based on the anxiety or based on the fear or based on your thoughts or your mind instead of coming into the your environment or your senses or your direct experience of you and the other person right and coming and into the, your, your feeling and your noticing your thoughts and your body and kind of that place and it sounds like from what you said before as well checking in with your feelings with your thoughts with your with your body and how that's kind of where that is at right now right brings an awareness exactly and that awareness helps with everything not with everything and and it, it doesn't always help with it going away but it helps with it becoming perpetuating it or making it much bigger than where it's at at that point in time right and then you can choose well just to be to be in that i guess exactly yeah and open up to that and when you are when you are taken over by your own reactions because i liked your example so i'm i'm elaborating on that let's say you're uh, let's say you're the boss at some company 
and you're taken over by your own reactions and in front of you is an employee now that employee has emotions and thoughts and has a situations and a mood and all this stuff and since you're not aware of the environment you're not taking this person into consideration and so your actions are completely disregarding the person that's in front of you and, and, and an action that flows from a disregard of the people in front of you will have consequences because now you're not in tune with that person so whatever you'll do will not be what this person needs and they're going to carry that and they're going to do that to someone else down the line because now they have to carry your emotional reactivity has now made them reactive hmm. and so through not being in a responsive state of mind but a reactive state of mind we're slowly creating problems that will either manifest today or later down the line and at that point because you were reactive you'll be reacting to those problems as well which will be making it worse so to so, so if we come back to to the uh to like the not the beginning but if we come back to like right if you want to choose the responsive state right or like kind of be in that in that place more and and be able to notice your environment right then meditation at least the the way of you talking about meditation right is a clear um path you could say towards cultivating that right i don't know of any other way actually well that's that sounds very definite <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found any other way. Yeah. I don't know if there is one, but I haven't found any other way. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. That's the... Uh, <laughs> there's no other way. This is the way meditation. And I want to say, and I want to <laughs> say, because, because someone listening to the example might say, well, I have the best intention for my, for my colleagues, for my employers and so on. But that's actually, having good intentions is actually also a problem. Uh, and this is, this, we're going to go a little deeper now, but, and then we'll probably round it out. Uh, but a lot of the problems in the world happens because people try to be good or have good intentions. Actually, one of the biggest problems in the world, because if I'm sitting in front of Jonathan, if Jonathan is my, my colleague, and I'm sitting in front of Jonathan and I have good intentions, am I then responding to Jonathan? Am I taking Jonathan's state into consideration and my own state and responding out of that no i'm reacting to my good intentions and is that what jonathan needs no it's not what he needs so good intentions are also a kind of reactivity and it's a kind of illusion because it's not responding to the environment life always wants you to respond to life not to your own ideas or whether these ideas are good or bad always going to create trouble because Good intentions do not allow you to see what is in front of you. And so you may do something with a good intention and you may say, I am good because I had a good intention, which already should show you why you're doing it. You're doing it because it's a way of being good and you don't become good by trying to be good. You become good by looking at what is and seeing, this is another way you could this is, this is another way you could practice it. If you ask yourself, what does this moment need of me? What does this moment need from me? And then you observe. And then what comes out of that, you can do if you want to. But preconceived notions, even the ones that are meant from a deeply good place, I'm sorry to say, but there's still a way to disregard the other person. Just see what is in front of you and then respond what else could ever what else could ever work Tobian this hurts my ear <laughs> <laughs> what are you you're trying to say to me that and I know I, I want to kind of just say this out loud because I'm sure for people listening maybe maybe this is also coming up yeah but at least for me it's like I spent like many, many years cultivating this thing of like, or, or just not even cultivating, just like everywhere around me, it's so normal to have good intentions about, right. about somebody else or about your work ethic or about whatever that is, um, right. about relationships and things like that. 
And so for me, it's like, what you're saying right now is the, like very different to that. Right. And, and kind of, it squashes that. Right. And my ego is like, you can't squash that because that's such an important part of, <laughs> of, right. of, uh, of, yeah. So, um, I'm just curious, what have you got? Well, one of, one of, uh, you know, one of my acquaintances on LinkedIn the other day, she wrote this post. She wrote this post and she said, I always try to see the best in people, she, she wrote. And I, at that point, I knew something had gone wrong because that's a terrible thing to do. But she said, I always, I always try to look at the best in people. And uh, I had a client and I knew something was off, but I always try to see the best in people. So I did work for the client and uh, I lost $20,000 that, uh, no, sorry, 20,000 uh, crowns. Um, and uh, that was a shock to me. And, you know, she, she, she went back and forth about how she was, she was bitter about it. And someone in her comments were like, uh, you know, I know you're doing the right thing and blah, blah. She basically supported her and she was kind of saying, you know, wow, this unjustful thing happened to you. What a shame. And just keep being you and whatever. Actually, in reality, she brought this on herself. It was 100% self-inflicted because she had a client in front of her. The moment told her, do not work with this person. She said as much. Do not work with this person. She clearly distinguished that in the moment. That is what she discerned. And then a thought came up that says, no, I have to see the best in people. And so she did, but there was nothing good to see in this person. And so she lost 20,000 crowns. But the, the tragedy is not that she lost that money. The tragedy is that she felt as if life cheated her. And she felt bitter because she did the right thing and life should have rewarded her. That's how she saw it, because she tried to be good. But trying to be good, it doesn't, it doesn't help the scammer. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone. Don't try to be good. Just try to be in alignment with the situation. Mm. Try to do what the situation needs. And then people say, but if I don't look at the good in people, then I'm not good. And that kind of, again, that kind of shows you that you only look, in, look for the good in people because you want it to be good. So that's an ego reason. Uh, that's already a bad motivation, but... But if you experience the good in your... But, but here's the thing that I would... Here's the alternative I would offer. When you meet someone and that person is not good for you, it doesn't mean you have to judge them. It doesn't mean you have to say that they're a bad person. You can treat them with compassion. You can do what the situation needs of you. But you have to listen to what your instincts are telling you and we live in Denmark it's a good place to be so the world is rarely dangerous but it can still be dangerous in some situations sometimes if you don't listen to this you can get seriously hurt and in other parts of the world if you don't listen to this you'll die so listen to what your instincts are telling you and remember that you're not a bad person because you see that there's something bad in a person you can simply, if you want to be a good person, then just accept that this person is where they are, accept their flaws, accept that they have a bad intention in mind, and then just leave them with peace. Just uh, say, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to release you with, with kindness. Hmm. That's being a good person, if you want to be a good person. But being but don't confuse goodness and stubbornness because if you stubbornly want to put your values onto the situation, onto people, then life is, life is very compassionate. It will teach you every time. Every time you think that your ideas are more important than reality, life will tell you that reality comes first. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are, reality comes first. And I always, I always say this, that if you want to know what good intentions are worth in this life. Go outside on a day where, the, where there's no wind, throw a rock directly up into the air and wish with all your heart, all your good intentions that this rock goes somewhere else than back down in your face and see what happens. Because that rock will 
land in your face every single time. And it's and I'm this is not bitter or cynical. It just means that you have to respect reality. And when you say respecting reality, you're talking about responding to your environment through your senses. Right, if, if and through and through that part of yourself. Right, and we see it we see it uh, we see it uh, we see it a lot in relationships, right? Like one person. There, you know, there's this, this famous quote, famous quote which, which I like. It's like, it says, when people tell you who they are, listen to them. And so it's often used in conjunction with relationship advice because often early in a relationship, one partner will say something or show some kind of behavior. And this behavior quite clearly shows the other one that they're not compatible for the relationship that they want. But the person is in love and so they actively suppress this evidence that they just got and they tell themselves no he didn't mean it or she didn't mean it or they give them they, they make up rationalizations they take the proof that the situation gave them reality in front of them and they rationalize it away because they really want a relationship with this person but that's putting your own ideas before reality because reality just told you this person is not compatible if someone suddenly shows a behavior which is clearly problematic, I, and I say this with as, as much kind as I can muster, but if you ignore reality for your own desires and delusions, and trust me, I've done the same, we've, I'm sure Jonathan has done, we've all done it, yeah. but I'm saying if you ignore reality because of your ideas and what you want, then you must understand that it's a kindness when you get punished and you are seeing that reality is just reality you know someone's not gonna if someone treats you rudely the first time you meet them don't go and dream of them being nice to you one day you know when people show you who they are you know listen hmm. so this you know I, I have a I have a dream that one day we won't tell people to be good because goodness creates so many problems yeah. Because it's a kind of... Because when people, normally when people do things that don't work, they stop. But with goodness, they think they're doing a good thing. So they'll, they'll keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, get the same disastrous result. People will, people will be people pleasers all their lives and people will take advantage of them all their lives. And they'll keep doing it because they think it's a good thing. So it sounds like meditation or kind of the, this path, I guess you could say. Let's just call it meditation. Right. Is a clear way for us all to to know to 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 experience our environment, to experience our senses, what's happening in our reality in that moment. Right. And to get, and through through this, um, I keep going to say practice, but through this non-practice, you could say. Well, you can call it a practice. Yeah. It's just important to say that it requires no effort. All right, through, through this practice then, they, it requires no effort, like you say, you, we are able to, to, to just like distinguish, I guess, between what's happening in our minds and what's happening in our in the other part of ourselves to know the truth or know like kind of uh, and to, 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 to be able to listen to that truth I guess right. you could say and follow that truth and or, you at, least, call it, and or you, at least to be as absolutely it may not be the absolute truth if people don't like that yeah that word but at least to be as absolutely informed as you can through the data that is available to you right exactly yeah and that informed data is something that comes to you when you're able to be uh, quieter in your minds, I guess you could say. Right. Because the louder we are in our minds, the less likely we're going to actually pick up on this information or this truth or this or whatever comes to us. And we're just going to react from our minds. Right. When we're but full the, of ourselves, that's all we see. Yeah. But this other practice, this other meditation or this other uh, path, you could say, brings us back into this space of um, responding to our environment in 
in the in the moment and in, in and experiencing that reality for what it is and the people or the other people in that that experience right. and being able to be sensitive to that other person to understand what is it, what it is that's going on uh, feeling wise body wise right. thinking wise and and that in itself is an invaluable skill for life in relationships and work in absolutely all areas of life to uh to cultivate and to and to bring about that self-awareness it's like i mean what else is there <laughs> you know like that's that's uh, see clearly act clearly yeah. live a good life yeah i think that's probably episode two of conversations in the yard <laughs> we ended up talking a lot about me here unfortunately but hopefully it will be useful to someone <laughs> you've been listening to the conscious caravan with Jonathan and Torbjörn and if you are looking for help to live a more conscious life you can reach out to one of us for a free therapy session where we can help you get from where you are now to where you want to be.